Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. I am very happy to be here to finally talk again about a game I could not talk about for a long time. <laughs> and we also welcome our buddy, my colleague from PC Games N, and freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Howdy. So tonight we're going to be revisiting the Wargame series again, as they just released another installment of Wargame, Wargame Red Dragon, uh, a, new, a new sequel of sorts that oh, expands the action to East Asia and the Pacific Theater, and gives us a bunch of new conflicts and armies to play around with, and most significantly, of course, naval warfare. Uh, so before we get into all that, though, Fraser... Troy and I have both talked about uh, Wargame, the Wargame series in the past. People know that we like it. Uh, where, where, what's your relationship with the series, and where do you stand on uh, where, where do you stand on Red Dragon? Well, um, I didn't play much European Escalation, uh, but I really got into um, I've forgotten the name of the bloody Airland Battle. Battle. It's Air a terrible name. Battle. Who can remember it? It is so they are all weird. Terrible names. Red Dragon's the best name. But Airland Battle is just so strange, and it's so annoying to format when you're writing a review. Is that it's like air, then big L, but one word battle. Oh, it's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really liked it. I, I liked the way they dealt with um, the air combat, uh, especially the way it was kind of separated, and you didn't have like airports just on the front lines, inexplicably clearly going to be destroyed very quickly. Um, but most of all, I really got into the multiplayer, the huge ten v ten battles, which were just absurd over huge battlefields. So much cooperation needed, uh, very intimidating. Uh, and I like how I kind of suck at it. <laughs> uh, I'm absolutely terrible, um, and it seems I've only been getting worse with uh, Red Dragon, um, which seems to be more of. It feels like. An expansion, not even a standalone expansion. It feels like an expansion that should have been attached to, like, Airland Battle. Am I the only one that thinks that? I don't think you are, but what do you mean by that? You want to expand on that a bit? Yeah, so you've got the naval element, which has been added. and That was something I was incredibly excited about. I wanted mm -hmm. to see, after they did such a good job with the air stuff, what they would add uh, with the, the naval element. And it's just been massively disappointing. Like... It's kind of functional, I guess. It's The balance is a little bit unusual. Um, but I just think it doesn't have that element of realism that the rest of the game has. It feels very gamey, and from the way the ships move and interact with each other, to the open ocean battles especially, they're just, there's nothing to them. They're, they don't feel dynamic. I mean, it's got all the elements that the rest of the game has. It has these detailed units uh, with all these different stats and ammo and range, but it just feels a bit flaky. It's mainly the open sea battles where there's no land component. Yeah, right. I, I think to this, to this point, and we, we've, talk, we've touched on this uh, on the show a few times, Three Moves Ahead has a weird recurrent fascination with how games handle the war at sea. And yeah. I, I think... Um, really just on its face some of what they're trying to do in red dragon is just a bad idea uh well, yeah because just i mean the war game series is about 
land warfare, and everything about it is scaled to land warfare engagement ranges. Things happen yeah. at a distance of a few kilometers. Naval warfare is hundreds of kilometers. And so there's this weird, like, I don't think it's so bad on, like, beachhead assaults and coastal warfare, but the yeah. open sea battles, it's like, what in the living hell is going on here? It's like the little toy ships, aren't they? They're so close together, it's absurd. Um it kind of reminds me of um, a bad version of uh, what was it? Le- was it Leviathan or yeah, something? Leviathan. You know the yeah, which was really fun, and that had like I, th- I just think that went into naval combat in more depth than uh, Red Dragon hats. Well, I mean, this uh, is the thing. Of, the thing about naval combat and the weirdness of it in so many war games and strategy games is naval combat has a purpose completely different and distinct from land combat. Land combat is about controlling territory. Naval combat is about controlling access, controlling income, or occasionally support. So, ironically, a total war game, one of the Shogun expansions, uh, the last one, the... um, yeah, was a, yeah. actually a good naval game because it was about having naval support for your land battles. So even if you didn't see the troops there, that didn't see the ships or control the ships, having them there made it actually a very good representation of naval combat. Here, so much of naval combat is move your Chinese ships into a Russian sea zone to get obliterated, like mine did this morning. Uh, and the cumulative effect of the land battle is... Eh? Because it generally so much is about because they have the air and the land down so well, the sea stuff, which is the big selling point of this series, um, is kind of a disappointment. Not to mention the collision effects and the like. The purpose of sea war is not in place. And I think that's one of the the ways it feels like an expansion and not even a standalone. It's the way that it just feels tacked on. It's not integrated, and it's not. It doesn't feel like its own separate game. It doesn't feel very different from Airland Battle, just with naval stuff, which doesn't feel very well connected. So it feels like just something's been added onto the game and not given a huge amount of thought. I think it works better in coastal assaults. I think those mm-hmm. scenarios yes. work pretty well. Where yeah. suddenly the navy is doing exactly what it did in that Shogun expansion uh, right. you mentioned, Troy, where mm-hmm. like. The guy who has ships sort of roaming the coast while, like, attack groups are going ashore, that guy's going to have support from, like, missile carriers, uh, you know, air su- like uh, anti-air capability. There's a lot of things that uh, the, the ships bring to the party, especially if there's, like, inland rivers and you can get some, like, river gunboats going up the map. Uh, there's some cool things that are possible. And I think, actually, you know, it was... I was kind of caught out, actually, by how bad naval warfare was in some ways, because my first exposure to it was uh, in a few scenarios uh, in the campaign, which were, like, sort of coastal assaults, where I was like, oh, hey, this works way better than I thought it would, because, like, my guys are storming ashore. It's like the Omaha Beach scene, but with, like, smart, like, laser-guided weapons. That's really (laughs) cool. And I was like, I don't see the problem here. And then I went and played a naval battle in the open water, and it just got so silly so quickly, and it's 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 so dumb seeing like modern, modern like destroyers and cruisers at engagement ranges that like even you know even Lord Nelson would have been like whoa I, I think maybe we should back <laughs> off a little. 
Well, they run out of missiles, right? They just fire everything they've got. So they end up with, there's no supply, they're running your supply ships. They're stuck with just their guns. It's a harpoon problem. And a harpoon, like 20 years ago, I'd occasionally run into this where we'd just be firing missiles at each other and I'd be busy peeking guns at each other from like a mile away. It was the stupidest, stupidest thing, but it would happen one out of every, you know, 20, 30, 50 times. Here, it seems that happens a lot more often than it should, especially since air combat and anti-air, sea-based anti-air weapons seem super effective. Yeah, you do not want to send uh, fighter, fighter support over an enemy fleet. They will not do well. I mean, forget about sending anything that's not a long-distance airstrike against a fleet. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to be sending any helicopters over there. Well, no. You, you shouldn't be sending helicopters <laughs> anyway. Come on, Fraser. But here's... So, the thing is, though, I think the battles on the high seas, as it were, have all these problems. I will mm-hmm. admit, though... There's kind of a goofy amount of fun I had with them if you just sort of accept that they're going to be dumb as hell. It becomes yeah. like sort of kid in a bathtub playing with ships going like, boosh, boom, cow. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it turned into was like, oh, man, I'm going to send this Fremantle cruiser right in your face. And oh, yeah, killed the shit out of him. And it was great. Fair, the, the, the land battles have been that for quite a while. I mean, how many of the scenarios, especially the campaigns, are just the AI putting everything in one square and just rushing you? Yeah, I mean, that's that, the I mean, AI's so, main strategy. So, I mean, let's not pretend that, I mean, as much as I love the Wargame series, I hope we have time to talk about how important this is as a series, I mean, like underappreciated and so crucially important design-wise, fun-wise, just it's a brilliant, brilliant series all the way through. Let's not pretend that the AI in the land level is some great, you know, Klauswitz here with brilliant strategies. It's pile everything up and they rush you. This is the traditional zone rush, um, the real funds in multiplayer. And it's really, it's fun and it's great and it's panicky. And I love that. I love that about the land game. Um, so let's not hold up the failures of the naval game as, oh my God, how could they do this? This amazing, brilliant series when all the great fun of the land game and the air game uh, is not really about, why am I doing these stupid things? Because the game's a lot about doing stupid things with cool stuff. And the land and air game is still very present in Red Dragon and Absolutely. excellent. Absolutely. I mean, that that remains. And it's... Um, the amount of units is just it's gotten absurd now it's almost is it almost 1500 it's it's big. madness because I, I think it's like 400 or something new units or something completely crazy like that um and the, it's, it's at just, the point where, it's at the point where i can't even fact check it anymore yeah <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous and it just building a deck is so much effort in, in a very good way um we just pour hours into kind of creating different loadouts i guess because there are just so many things you can take from because you don't even need to be restricted by country you can go faction so the factions are like blue force red force right yeah but then yeah we should talk about this we should talk about this deck building thing because it's actually the the restrictions you can give yourself make for some really interesting army composition decisions uh, that in turn have cool effects in the multiplayer that I really enjoy. 
it starts out broadly, you can just be Red Force or Blue Force. So basically the Western world or the communist-aligned world uh, during the Cold War. And you can choose anything you want in there. But the thing is, that versatility comes at a cost. You won't be able to do as much. You'll have bigger selection, but you'll have some penalties in the ter- in terms of how much you can bring onto the battlefield. But then if you're willing to specialize a little bit and be like, no, I'm going to be a, you know, just to pull from the new the new expansion, no, I'm going to be a joint Korean-Japanese uh, formation, and I think I'm going to specialize in air mobile tactics. Uh, and so that's what you are. And you have some restrictions now that you didn't have before, but you're empowered to play your role. And there are bonuses as well for picking countries. There's some really nice fine-tuning for, you know, you want to play a cohesive unit that's good at one thing, then we'll give you the opportunity to, you know, be a cohesive unit that knows it's, it's shit. You know, you don't get to play as many neat toys, but you'll be good at this really one thing. So if you master this, you understand this, you'll be good at it. So it, I think it encourages experimentation. It encourages players to find the identity with decks, something they're good at, something they like or they enjoy. Now, I'm kind of a polymath. I like mixing stuff up. Uh, but I'm also, in, in RPG terms, I'm a tank. So in war game terms, I'm a tank. I like going charging forward. Um, and I think war game uh, Red Dragon gives people the opportunity to, you know, I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. Um, I think a flexibility is really something special. They give you not a penalty for wanting to try something a little bit off the grid. It's important for multiplayer as well. I mean, if, especially if, if you're playing the larger battles, you need specialists. Um, and having that kind of encouragement right from the beginning when you start making your first deck is great because you are maybe more inclined to choose a specific um, element to focus on. Um, and then when it comes to multiplayer battles, the big like ten v ten ones, then you'll be a real asset. And it, it, I think it inspires people to also organize more, uh, so they've actually got matches where they're with people they know who have got setups they understand, and then you can get really ridiculous and quite glorious battles. So in my experience, the multiplayer's community is pretty chaotic. Um, and the the problem I've had with multi ma- uh, multiplayer matchmaking is there's just way too many ten v ten sitting open, mm-hmm. and not enough people like creating smaller games. Uh, it can be a little tough to get into a two v two, but there's always a million like empty ten v ten lobbies, and I think that's a little bit of a drag. Um, not a big issue. I've never had a problem finding some kind of game to play, um, but I think I think it can be a, a little bit of an issue, and also just I I, I prefer slightly more uh, small I prefer slightly smaller games just because my brain starts to overheat when that much shit is going on all at once. Um, there's oh there's one thing I want to mention with that though. Does anyone think it's a disastrous decision to have the chat open by default at all times in the game? Like <laughs> it was well, it's not disastrous for me because I realized it reinforces that I hate people. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. It's embarrassing to see some of the things that <laughs> people will just happily say while trying to play war games. It's been reassuring for me though because it's a very international community on that chat. Yeah. To realize that like the United States is, has far from like a monopoly 
in sort of chest thumping douchebaggery uh, and like misogyny, uh, like you know, on, on the web. It's been really entertaining watching like you know people getting heated arguments over whether like I swear to God uh, whether Vladimir Putin is actually worse than Hitler now. Uh, that's been that's been really exciting to watch, but but it's not something I want scrolling through my game experience every time I log in, and the first thing I see is going to be like, "fuck you, Russian dog" or something like you know, that. I, it's like I, I don't I, need this. I would I would take those threats of "oh my god, Russians are awful" more seriously if there weren't so many English language games saying, "hey, we need like five more NATO players." <laughs> Russians are full up. It's like, come on, guys, pick a side. So I, I just I, I kind of wish they they didn't have that. It's, it's the same thing as like right. when um, you know it, when there's like an online event and like Twitch chat is open by default on like a screen. Like you do not want to open that can of worms. Like let me choose to opt in because uh, it's it's an unpleasant thing to have to encounter. But getting back to the uh, getting back to the game a little bit, I want to talk about the campaign uh, because you brought up AI issues. And I feel like this time, though, the AI is struggling more, and I have a theory about why. Oh. Um, so in previously, you had sort of, uh, in, in the campaign, you had each unit was kind of a self-contained deck, right? Where, like, you, you had a bigger formation that had basically all the pieces of a standard deck. You know, it had its anti-air, its armor, its infantry, and it did have an identity that overrode that. Like, if it was a marine amphibious battalion, its tanks kind of sucked. Uh, but that's that's just what you were going to play with. And so I think Airland Battle had, just by default, slightly more balanced unit composition. Whereas in Red Dragon, I think it's an interesting decision, and it changes things up more in some good ways. Red Dragon, you don't have these sort of one-size-fits-all armies. You have it broken down by, like, company and battalion. Like, okay, here's your support company with the artillery. Here's the, you know, the the tracked anti-air vehicle company. Uh, here's your heavy armor group. And it, it breaks it down that way, which is good because it means, like, in each battle, the matchup can change a lot from battle to battle. Like, you know, suddenly in the last battle there was a huge helicopter force. Now they're gone, and they've been replaced by, you know, a, you know, a bunch of guys in Humvees with anti-tank weapons. That can be cool. But the problem is, as the campaign goes on, you get some weirder and weirder unit compositions that start showing up just as attrition takes its toll. And the moment the computer suddenly doesn't have access to a decent variety of basic units, it has no idea what the hell to do. And so I've seen way more like way more absurd matches from the AI in red dragon than I remember seeing in Airland battle. Yeah. I mean, I, overall I've, I've seen it acting mostly in the same way. Um, although I think almost it seems more, they're more cavalier. <laughs> um, it does move fast up roads a lot. Yeah. Just charge it away, um, but I, I didn't really notice them using completely crazy uh, groups of units. Uh, but I haven't played uh, a huge amount of the campaign to be honest, because I just got a little bit bored of playing against the AI. Um, it just wasn't doing it for me. I think that's maybe because when I was playing Airland Battle, you know, I started the campaign, finished that, then moved on to the multiplayer, and suddenly that's where the game really clicked for me 
and it it's made me just maybe more interested in in doing that or experimenting with the skirmish stuff. Uh, with the campaign, the story is a bit guff, and the campaign map doesn't really do it for me. So um, I don't really feel compelled to spend that much time there. Yeah, I'm I'm a little torn. The AI, like the the campaign, I I like. I like the variety in the campaign. It, it seems a little nice to have a break from the uh, NATO versus Warsaw Pact thing of Airland Battle, uh, which yeah. could be a little samey over time. Whereas yeah. here, uh, you know, if you're playing like the Chinese in 1979, uh, that is a very different sort of army than the ones you've controlled before. And that's that's a cool way to change it up. You have to completely rethink your tactics that you've learned mm-hmm. over the course of these three games. That's nifty. Um but and here I think we we should talk a little bit about what our friend Tom Chick brought up about this game. Uh, not only yeah. the the naval stuff, which I think I think we've covered pretty well, and I, I think he'd agree basically that the navy stuff uh, is, is a bit is a bit crap. But he had some real problems with the campaign, and I share some of those reservations. I'm just not sure I share them to the same extent. Ultimately. Uh, I found myself enjoying the campaign because it kept giving giving me these sort of unfamiliar, uh, odd matchups that that, that I enjoyed. Uh, you know, like you have to, you're the British, and you have to defend Hong Kong in you know the early '80s from a Chinese onslaught. That's that's sort of a different that's that's a different sort of uh, war than say the opening Korean scenario. It's different than what we found in Airland Battle, uh, but it does sort of seem like they took some things away from uh war game with red dragon that we're in airland battle and i'm kind of surprised like i i'm kind of puzzled as to why uh like and and tom chick brought them up did troy do you first of all you read tom's review what did you think of what he said about its approach to the campaign and did you still manage to enjoy the campaign despite that I am. I enjoyed them mostly. I mean, a lot of this, and we said. I mean, think Fraser's right. A lot of this is kind of the, it's kind of an expansion uh, type feel to this. This is something that doesn't feel like an entirely new war game, and it adds some new things on. So a lot of the scenarios to me felt like in, in the campaign. In the campaigns themselves generally felt like, hey, here's a new scenario we're kind of making up as we go along. Even the opening Korean scenario, it's like, it's 1984 and still the Korean, the North Koreans can push us down to Pusan. Oh my God, what are we going to do? That was <laughs> not going to happen in 1984. I'm sorry, guys. That's just totally imaginary looking at maps 30 years later. That's not how war works. It starts um, with them winning as well, basically. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, that's what happened. Not, not 1950. You know, it's, that's the 1950 <laughs> North Korean invasion transposed 1984. <laughs> it's the exact same map with the exact same no, landing in Incheon. It, yeah, yeah, it's completely ridiculous. It's it's insane. It's just using new equipment. Well, it's, actually. Uh, Okay, I, in its defense, that is a war game scenario that's been used a lot in other war games. Like Operation yeah. War went back yeah. to Korea. And here's the other thing. Remember, 1984, Korea was not as totally fucked as it is right now because yeah. it was still basically a client state of the Soviet Union. It still had access to things that, you know, by 90, it no longer had access to at all. And so it, by it, 19, 1984, you're still not going to be getting that. You had a larger American presence at the 50th parallel. I mean, that's. Not... I mean, the campaign puts it so that like you have to hold out so the Americans can rescue you. It's like the, yeah, it's, it's almost just, the end of Korea. Yeah, just because just because other war games are idiots doesn't mean this one gets a full right to. I, God, there is I, that. I, that I read a Larry Bond yes. novel about this, and, and it's yeah, very God. plausible. I think. <laughs> 
I read an entire book on alternate idiot scenarios, and this was one of them. It's like um, Homefront, but, but, the first-person yeah, shooter where they but invade that does America. Not, but that does not mean that it's not an interesting fight. It does not mean it's not an interesting scenario, uh, ahistorical or not. And many of the campaigns are full of, hey, let's do something crazy here and there. Um, that in Airland Battle, I think a lot of the scenarios kind of chained together a little bit strong, a little bit, a little bit better. I think in Red Dragon, a lot of the, the Hong Kong thing you talk about it seems to come out of kind of nowhere, but it sort of fits in this weird world they're building where they're a lot of the war game series at this point feels like almost like a Royal Rumble. Who would win in a fight? <laughs> yeah, that's just it. it that's exactly it. It is Superman versus Batman. It is you know let's put these guys in an arena. Thatcher versus Deng. Yeah, and see what happens, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm totally, I'm actually very cool with that. I'm cool with that as a setup. I'm cool with that as a structure. Um, it doesn't make it a real campaign, not just a bunch of scenarios in an order. No, not really. But it doesn't matter because that's not what these games have ever really been about. These games are about, at their lowest level and their purest level, about matching equipment versus equipment in kind of unusual fights. Some historical, some not. Uh, some quasi-historical. Um, but, you know, it's, it's Superman versus Batman. It's Rome versus the Han. It's, you know, Manhattan guy versus other mutant guy. Uh, you don't know sort of comics like, well, do you? I'm bad at them. <laughs> I'm really bad at comics. Uh, uh, and it's really... So the the campaign... So, the, so when you get something like the Hong Kong scenario, and it's really... It's Japan invading Hong Kong, only this time it's China, and it's later. <laughs> really, that's what it is. Um, let's let the English do this again. Um, and even if it's only a few years before they turn it over, it is what it is. Uh, I kind of like that. I really do love a historical scenarios that are somewhat plausible. I do like mixing and matching of history and plausibility because it allows us to explore some stuff because one thing you can't say about the Wargame series and about the Wargame RTS people is that they don't know their stuff and they know their equipment. And even if the terrain's a bit repetitive, they kind of know what it looks like and it gives you interesting challenges. Um, it's not a pure war game. It's really more of an RTS than a war game, but it's close enough that people that don't want to stare at hexes can explore interesting and cool options that they won't get anywhere else in the strategy environment. So I'm actually kind of happy to have that in the in the strategy world place and in these campaigns. I want to revisit that RTS thing in, in just a second, but I think Tom brought up a couple points, though, that I, I do think there's some absences in, in Red Dragon that I find kind of bizarre. And one sure. of them is, Absolutely. what the hell happened to the, uh, I don't remember what they were called in Airland Battle, but basically the ruse cards. The uh, You would spend your strategic points on the strategic map to have some kind of special effect happen in a territory. Like, you could have saboteurs come and paralyze every unit in enemy-held territory for one turn. That could give you time to yeah. pull out some, some great stuff. And it creates a problem in Red Dragon that I don't think existed in Airland Battle, which is that in Red Dragon, it sort of parcels out political points that you can use to requisition more forces. Yes. Now, there is no incentive to hold anything back. There, why, why have a reserve? Get those units out there in play as quickly as possible. 
and you'll you'll have you know you'll have access to more stuff, which is really the key to winning battles in in war game. Whereas in Airland Battle, you had this this tension between I could bring out more troops, or I could play some kind of special effect, and that could change the strategic layer without me even having to fight a battle. It could give me greater flexibility. That is gone in Red Dragon, and I think it made the campaign feel poorer for it. And I'm kind of I'm kind of puzzled. Like, I'm kind of puzzled. Just why would you get rid of that? I thought it was. I, I thought it worked really well. And then also, why can't Troy? Why can't you and I play a multiplayer scenario, like a campaign? Like, why can't you know the computer doesn't right. know what to do with a weird scratch force after we've been fighting over the same territory for three games? But I'll bet you and I would have a hell of a lot of fun, you know, battling it out with our last, you know, three infantry platoons that still have guys and our last tank and our last helicopter. I think that could be great stuff. Oh, uh, but it's just not it's just not here and I don't get it. There's no reason for it other than maybe they ran out of time and didn't think it was as important. But it was already in the game. I mean, they already had yeah, well, it's early in design, battle, so it's so, not like yeah. they didn't know how to implement it. It does seem weird because the 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 campaign doesn't seem like it wouldn't really work in co-op. There's no real reason why it shouldn't be the same as Airland Battle. It would totally work. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just That's the, definitely a, a missed opportunity. Maybe it's because all their campaigns are really lopsided in a certain way. Like, they're, they're sort of trying to create certain things that'll happen, so maybe they just felt it wouldn't be fun. But at that point, then you're talking about a failure in scenario design. Like, you should have created a two-player campaign. But, yeah, I just... I, I, I think... You know, Tom really kind of went after this game a little bit in quarter three. I wish he was here. Uh, we couldn't make schedules work. But, mm-hmm. you know, just, like, flashing back to when Tom and I talked about Company of Heroes 2... You know, if you want to know how to piss Tom off, you release a sequel that gives you less than the previous game, um, and that's that 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 doesn't that doesn't sit well. And I just I still enjoyed this game quite a bit, but you know, coming to the end of my time with a single player, I find myself really wishing like it would have been really fun if. You know, Troy and I could have been battling to the death over the Busan perimeter, or uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep Hong Kong out of his you know filthy little mitts. We could have had a lot of fun doing that because in the multiplayer game, what you're going to have is the deck you selected at the start, and you're not going to have that weird like war. The, the cool thing about the campaign is it generates proper war game scenarios in that yes. there is a there is a situation here that would not exist in a standard meeting engagement, which is all multiplayer is. There is a scenario here where suddenly you do not have the optimal force for a situation, but you have something, and what can you make make out of it? And it doesn't totally deliver on that. It really could have if it had a multiplayer campaign. I also think one of the um, weird things I, I another thing that's missing, and I guess if we're looking at it like an expansion rather than a standalone, well, I think that's um, how we should look at it. I mean, this is yeah, just a yeah. very expensive. It's an expensive expansion, uh, but yeah. really, this is a game that adds some really nice, neat, cool things, but is not really a full sequel by any means. And one of the things I think that emphasizes that is the complete lack of a serious tutorial or... Oh my um, god. It's insane. This is one of the most complex uh, RTS games, and it's basically absent any real explanation. And if you haven't played uh, Airland Battle, which does have a tutorial, Mm -hmm. um, it's not good, but it certainly teaches you the basics. If you've not gone through that, 
come to Red Dragon, <laughs> you're screwed. The first thing I do in any strategy game is I play the tutorial because I want to know what is being taught, what I've forgotten, what I've missed. And it's just menus scroll down, menus scroll down. It is completely useless. Uh, There's a chap on on Steam who's made a a, a gargantuan guide. I think it was an Airland battle guide that he's also then added to for Red Dragon. It's like 200 pages. Um, You don't need to go that far. I know, but he but it's, do, he's gone into insane detail. Do a video, do a tutorial video. Yeah, but something Fraser. like... Fraser. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing a bloody tutorial video. <laughs> Here's how, you're, how you can be crap at Red Dragon. <laughs> Drive those tanks, that tree line. Oh, that did not go well. Okay. <laughs> Don't use recon units. Ignore them. They're rubbish. <laughs> so... To your point earlier, Troy, about mm-hmm. this being more of an RTS than a war game, I don't know that I that I entirely agree. No, chiefly because, like, I think pacing wise, it probably does come closer to an RTS because it can get a little bit frantic at times. Although uh, compared to like StarCraft, it's it's still pretty slow paced. But I, I just think there's too much. So so much of this game. We're, the war game series really boils down to the line of sight, correct? Like we can we can agree basically this yes. is a game about who sees what yeah. first. Yeah, it's about winning the information war and then translating that into victory on the battlefield. Yeah, what I find really kind of exciting about Red Dragon and basically any installment in the, in the franchise is that which we can agree is an outstanding franchise. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, is that this is a series that rewards sort of detective work and inference uh, in a way that I just don't think uh, just feels just feels maybe a little too um, it feels a little too familiar from war game scenarios where you're sort of reading the ground, reading the train, trying to figure out like what would make sense, like what do you expect to find at this position that you can't see, but what what do you suspect is there? Or if you start taking fire from an un- unknown direction, where do you think that spotter is hiding? And I find that's what this game really hinges on far more than, uh, far more than even the economy, because you can't just win this by bringing more units out on the battlefield. Even if you dominate a lot of the battlefield, uh, bringing out like more, like having just more brute power only gets you so far. And I find that that's an important distinction from from your average RTS, where really it's kind of like you win the economic game, and that empowers a victory on the battlefield and i just don't think wargame follows that template and there's too much wargamey stuff like if your guys freak out you know if you leave a tank crew in a blazing gun battle for too long and they start they start like getting panicked they are not going to shoot well you need to get those guys out because that m1 tank is going to start missing its shots and they're going to die because they were too spooked to shoot straight that's a war game thing and i just don't i i I think it it deserves maybe a little more treatment as a war game yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to disparage RTS. I, mean, I love RTSs, and you know that I love RTSs. Yeah. And the whole the whole war game versus RTS thing isn't meant as a despair. Isn't meant as a disparagement. It's kind of a throwaway yeah. line. I probably have thought more about. But I mean, a lot. So much of the game is about reaction time. Uh, whereas even like a lot of really good real time war games, you know, they give you some time to think and. So much of RTS, especially in the campaign games, does not give you a lot of time. They don't give you a lot of time to think what's going on. Maybe the multiplayer battles do because everybody's trying to outthink everybody else. Everyone's trying to be, you know, Gary Kasparov out there. Well, the campaign lets you slow it down. 
The campaign, the camp, the camp, yeah. Well, same with Skarmish. Yeah, I don't slow stuff down. You know, I'm I'm kind of hardcore. But I need to. (laughs) But a a lot, but a lot of the game is about not just recognizing information that's coming in. Which you're right, Rob. A big part of that is where is this coming from? What does it mean, etc. But how quickly you can respond to it, and I think that emphasis on speed because you don't have a time clicker saying how many days this being how many minutes is this uh, as much so how long is they take you all you know is your units are in trouble so it's you pull them back you retreat you regroup you three think then you try to process this information but then the informations might be completely out of date so a lot of it seems to me to me um there's a, like a lot of war game elements which is great and awesome and i'm not disparaging the series it feels a lot like an RTS because so much changes so quickly. Like I can just, if I move a unit accidentally because I drag and swooped too much, I lose my air corridor because on my field, my command unit's on the move and I've lost control over these squares, so I need my, my air corridor. So these, yeah. It's kind of silly and stupid. It makes no sense. Oh, well, this guy's marching. He's moved a foot. Now, my planes can't fly. So, I mean, that's an RTS rule. It's not a war game. It's an RTS rule. You've got to control something in order to, you know, fly forward, which that's fine. I'm fine with that rule, but it's a rule that would be enforced to me through RTS mechanics. Don't just swoop things. I mean, you have to, you know, swallow and swing and lasso guys and move them along. But it is such a game about response and action and then... But then you counter-respond, you counteract, which is great. The war game part is often the counterattack, And I think this isn't a game that's about attacking. It's about counterattacking, attacking uh, Which is why a lot of it feels like an RTS. We wait for the guy to come to... I'm, I'm a turtler. We wait for that guy to come to you. What is he building? Aha, then you move on. Um, and you can't, you, sometimes you have to attack. Sometimes the campaign forces you to attack because of how the map's built or they're all coming from the one spot. So you have no choice but to push on. But so much of it seems to be waiting, responding, counterattacking, or retreating, and not actually getting a solid plan in place, but seeing where everybody else is and then responding to that. Um, which to me feels a bit more RTS than war game, which is, I admit, a completely artificial distinction. I'm not saying you can't have a real-time war game. There are tons of them out there, which I love very much. But the way the mechanics and the response times feel, it's a bit like StarCraft, but in a good way. Um, so no one think I'm saying bad yeah. things about... I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anybody to listen to this and go on the forum and say, oh my God, so, he hates RTSs, he hates the war game series. I don't. I'm just saying a lot of how it responds to me, it doesn't respond to my war game, what do I know elements, which to some, to some extent, European Escalation did. European Escalation did ask me to, I think, more because it was a much simpler game. Pay attention to the units. Pay attention to the capabilities. There were fewer of them. There were smaller scenarios and more focused scenarios. So I really had to pay attention to the equipment and the landscape around me. Now there is just so much going on that it more feels like they are units with powers instead of Mm. equipment with abilities, if that makes sense. At the same time, you've got the the threats just from the environment moving yes. vehicles across Absolutely. the wrong type of terrain can be completely devastating, um, and that doesn't feel very RTSy. Um, 
You've never seen you've never seen me play an RTS. <laughs> spike um, fields? Oh, walk through a spike field. I I yeah. I tend to I think uh, side with with Rob on this one. It feels a little bit more uh, like a, a real time war game. I mean, we are arguing about where this falls on the genre hybrid. It's very much. It's yeah, right. Right. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we're, we're not saying bad things about the yeah, game. No. Just saying that you know, if we have to, that there are parts of this game that respond to parts of my brain that aren't calculative. For the war games is calculative. A lot of this game is about holy shit, I gotta pull these guys out instead of okay, where do I go, where do I pull these guys to and how do I respond to it? So there is. Um... Kind of interested by what you said there that these units begin to feel more like units with powers than equipment with capabilities. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if I agree or disagree because it's it's kind of a weird. This is very like how does this feel to you type question. But I I will say I found it a little bit easier. Like there something happened between Red Dragon and Airland Battle for me. I don't know what Airland Battle. If you flash back to that show, I was a little lukewarm on it. I kind of got rolled by that game. I was a little bit overwhelmed, and I'm wondering did they subtly simplify it or something where like okay now the equipment doesn't the differences don't quite matter as much like anti-tank inventory is anti-tank inventory is you know blah 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 um but something happened between those games where either i made some kind of mental leap or something shifted uh in the way it sort of approaches yeah, well, uh that's the kind of what i mean right anti-tank is anti-tank so it doesn't matter the range or the spotting capabilities or the price it's oh i need an anti-tank unit so i get an anti-tank unit and the cheapest one so it's a unit with a power Except I would still say the range does matter because, like, you've got to make sure, like, basically, if if, if one anti-tank missile shoots... I'm not saying it's shoots... irrelevant. I'm not saying it's irrelevant. I'm saying it's not as important as all the... Maybe I'm just making stuff up. Maybe I'm just... Mis... Maybe this is all a matter of perception. But I just felt like in European escalation, and to some extent, early on battle, the more I learned about the units, the richer the game got. Here, I'm not sure that research, that depth is paying off and it could be just because as fraser said there are 400 more units to pay attention to did they also simplify though the terrain a little bit because i feel like there was I more gradations of cover i think you're onto something go on, expand on that i think you're onto something well okay so did anyone just does, like in airline battle i felt like there was a ton of different types of cover there was like light cover that you could like station troops and tanks in and that would help with concealment a little bit but it wasn't like you know it wasn't like a dense forest or something where like basically you needed a really good spotter to get eyeballs on those guys hiding in the forest now it kind of feels like Basically, there's more of a binary, really. There's yeah. cover and not cover. There's concealment and not concealment. And that kind of, um, that I think does sort of simplify the, the vision game on the battlefield in a way that uh, Airland Battle, I think, was a little more complicated because it let, I think there's more ambiguity in the Airland Battlefield, the right. way that the battlefields were constructed, as to what was really envisioned. What could you really see? Whereas here, I kind of feel like just the because of sort of changes to the way they've approached, uh, you know, cover and concealment and what's out there on the battlefield, it kind of feels more like your spotters have a vision radius that just like works like true sight almost. And that, hmm. uh, that, uh, like that is a totally, it's been like, it's been many months since I played Airland Battle, but this is kind of how it felt to me. And I'm wondering like Fraser, did, did, does that strike a chord with you? I do believe there are, there are two types of cover in Red Dragon. I think there is a, a sort of a light cover and a denser cover. Um, 
uh, like hedgerows and things like that, and a smattering of trees. That's light cover, um, uh, and then you've got the denser forests. Um, but I, I kind of obviously with the AI, the problem is they kind of already know where you are, um, so you don't really get a feeling for being in cover or being sneaky. They know where you are; oh, they're coming straight for I'm you. I'm not so sure they do know where I am, Fraser. <laughs> The sheer number of times I've had tank columns just, like, coming straight up a road lined with, like, trees. Oh, really? <laughs> They're just not that into you, Rob. Yeah, it's been... Yeah. It, it's, definitely, it's, it's definitely nice to just be able to, like, drop... Maybe my units are just, like, not really being very stealthy. They're in the woods, and they're just having a party. They've got like, some music blasting. They're like, nobody will see us. We're in dense cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But to go back to this cover thing, Rob, I mean, you say, and you're right, I think, a lot of these games, and one of the beauty of the only science of modern warfare is, can I see them before they see me? Yes. This is the central part of, can I pick up their signals, can I save them on radar, whatever. So if the cover, no cover, binary, or as Fraser suggests, kind of binary plus level is there... What does that say to you about the value of the game as a variety of experiences, as an evolution, as an expansion, as a change, as a war game? Um, if, the seizure, if the search and destroy is less relevant or less interesting, does that affect how you approach Red Dragon, how you're interested in it? I mean, you, you love the game clearly, but you're also finding, oh my God, why does it have to do this? Yeah, I think... I'm having an odd reaction where I'm playing Red Dragon and it's almost serving as an appetizer for me returning to Airland Battle. Uh, <laughs> because I think in some ways, both because the way the campaign opens, there's a number of things that sort of ease you in with Red Dragon. That like Airland Battle was like, haha, good luck. Uh, and, and you were sort of you were sort of dropped into the shark tank. Here that doesn't quite happen. Uh, I, I just it's 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 a weird thing. It's hard for me to put my finger on why does it feel like, because it's possible I'm wrong, right? But it just feels like it's a little easier to to know what your variables are. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the known knowns and the, you know, known unknowns uh, are, are a little easier to track in Red Dragon. Whereas Airland Battle, I felt there was more of this... Um, you know, almost, almost more this like game of cat and mouse you were playing uh, that was a little harder to figure out in Airland Battle than it is in Red Dragon. That said, this is still this is still that game of um, can can I spot the enemy before uh, he spots me? And I think to your point earlier about pacing, where you know, it's about reaction times. I think one of the best and also kind of most frustrating things about the war game series is that this is a game that it's very slow paced things unfold very slowly until suddenly they do not yes you know it is everything is cool everything is cool and then guided missiles start landing on your position and like entire units are gone in a heartbeat or you have one like you have literally seconds to order your tanks to get the hell off a road as an airstrike comes in and you need to make that call uh, or you need to know the right countermeasures to employ to sort of stave off disaster. So when things start to happen, they happen very quickly. But it's all about, I think, 
um, preparing for that moment. And again, in that sort of detective game I described earlier, anticipating the moments when that's about to go wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm about to get hit. If I send these guys here, they're probably going to encounter trouble. What's my game plan for the moment that happens? And if you prepare for that, it's less like about reacting as it is just like executing on a, a plan you'd laid in advance. And I find that really cool. Right. I think there's a lot of ways that you can control the battlefield and draw the oh, you know sure. draw the enemy to you um, using like just cheat. Well, I mean, Troy, you said it doesn't really matter the specific units you have. It depends on like you just get the cheapest one of that variety. Um, I was I think overstating, but yeah, yeah. But I, there is sometimes that is actually a good idea. Just get some cheap units and use them almost to bait a trap. Um, and and the AI will react because and sometimes that's it almost seems like it's it's been quite clever um, sneaking around trying to pick off your uh, your units, but it's just really it's got the scent of blood and it's just wanting to go straight worst, for you. Worst so. recruitment office ever, by the way. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I there is a lot of uh, you know. Hey, I'll send these T fifty fives forward and see how it goes. Uh, there, <laughs> you're testing the waters, aren't you? That's yeah. what you're doing. Just, sne- just sneaking out, just very expensive, costly metallic scouts. <laughs> uh, there are other things, obviously, because using elevation is really handy. Like the using like because there are almost like mountains in some of these maps that you yeah. can get up and you slap a recon unit up there that's brilliant um that's going to help you out big time in one map i was playing i didn't realize that the the big uh, mountain in the middle was traversable so i was using it to actually hide and, and um, <laughs> i sent my recon units the other direction and then all of a sudden, all my units are gone around the mountain uh, because a bunch of tanks have just charged down it. And I was just like, ah, oh, it is traversable. But now I know. <laughs> I think... Lesson it, learned. Just from... My reservation, my fear with this series has always been that it rewards the defensive a little too much. And I finally hit a point where I realized it really doesn't. Especially because the maps are big enough that... What you'll find is it often seems superficially like it's totally about like, hey, just establish your vision radius around your positions and just murder everything that comes into range. And it'll be great. You'll be fine. But the <laughs> maps are so big now that if you like you really can't cover all your bases, that you can't really see everything. And if you are caught out of position, if a unit shows up where you're not expecting it to be. Like, your position will unravel so astonishingly quickly. Um, And it seems to be one of the few things the AI could do sometimes effectively as well, is that it would just be like, nope, I'm just going to put everything on this flank and just kind of roll up the edge of the map and surprise you. And I got caught out a couple times by that, uh, where I was like, I'm going to kill them as they come through this crossroads. It's going to be great. You know, (laughs) the crossfire is going to be incredible. And then suddenly they're like, overrunning all my command posts and everyone's dying uh and it's really rewarding to see that happen in some of the bigger multiplayer matches as well where you know someone is basically trying to just turtle you out and stall you out and pick up cheap kills and you completely blow up their position uh just because they were too passive um and I've definitely had some of those moments too. We really like, should do a multiplayer game. If any game for 3MA speaks out for a multiplayer experience, this is kind of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we we definitely been talking about how we're going to wrap up the uh, the the winter and now spring of wargaming yes. uh, with, with a multiplayer blowout. And that, this might actually be the well, the, the time it, and the place to do that. There was snow in Calgary, so it's still winter. That's that's true. And well, I, I can say the winter of wargaming. We'll, we'll call it the Russian winter of wargaming. Uh, so so maybe that's how we'll, we'll handle it. But overall, I just you know as, as we come to verdict time, like okay. For newcomers, if you don't have any war games, which one do you pick up right now? Of these, of the three? Of the three. Early on battle. Yeah, undoubtedly. There's, there's no other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. European yes. Escalation, I think, is... Uh, European Escalation is great, and it's... You know, it's it was, it's the foundation. It's, it doesn't it's have... It's the foundation, and it's simple, and it's clear, and it's understandable, but Early on battle introduces so many neat, amazing things that Red Dragon... Expands upon some in good ways, some in bad ways, but I think really Airland Battle is at this point the pinnacle of the war game series, and also prepares you for whatever's coming. Yeah, I, I wish I give Red Dragon a slightly stronger endorsement because I, I do think in the end Airland Battle like was probably the more impressive game. Um, I I like how much is in Red Dragon though. It is yeah. like for multiplayer, everything is in this game. Like. It's massive. Yeah, like ridiculously so. It's focused on East Asia, but like all the units from Airland Battle are in the game. Like if you're primarily go multiplayer, I think this still might be the place to do it. Uh, and just don't don't play those those naval battles because um, they're they're very silly. Uh, they're a silly place. But <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I think if you're trying to get like a more if you're maybe interested in more of the campaign side, I would say absolutely go Airland Battle. I think for multiplayer, you might want to go Red Dragon. I think I will probably be playing Red yeah, Dragon. But, the, but there's no tutorial. I'm not going to read yeah. 200. I'm not going to read 200 pages of Dude. So I think it's very much uh, if you are already into the series, if you you know, then definitely get Red Dragon. There think, should be no question. I think we're overestimating but, how much this game needs a tutorial. Oh, I really no. I, oh, come on. No, come, come on. on. Especially if you're okay, so your first experience ever of the war game series, you jump into the campaign, right? Yeah. That's the first thing you do. You jump into the easiest one, so that's the Korean one. That's where yes. you're South Korea. And you are like, okay, there's no explanation. Um you were there, you were being invaded, you have almost nothing else, you have to wait for the Americans. That's a sort of almost like last mission. But even just the basics in, of... No. There's, there's, no, te- there's no teaching element to it. Or, there is. You have, to, you have to read all these scrolling menus of where do units come from? Where do I buy them? <laughs> Why do I buy them? When a mummy unit and a daddy unit are really <laughs> in love. Yeah, I mean, you have to... So if you click the tutorials button and there are... Like ten of them, and they all are five parts, and they all have half, like quarter screenshots, not even full screens. Oh, they're and tiny, not, and, and not they're even really zoomed blurry. on the most useful part. And the text's kind of bad. I mean, no, tutorials go. But, this, is pretty, this is not great. But here is the difference, though. Then yeah. in Airland Battle, you start your first campaign, and you get shit hammered by a Russian onslaught or something. It's 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 uh-huh. bad news. In Red Dragon, you start the campaign, and you are dealing with the pinnacle of Western technology in the versus... mid-80s versus Korean crap leftovers from the Cold War. <laughs> so, like, put your infantry here. Oh, look, they have a guided missile. So, like, it's basically, you know, 
yeah, you'll, there's going to be an adjustment, but you're also going to have a lot of good tools that are going to let you sort of figure out, oh, these guys have the guy yeah, that kills the tanks. But you're not going to know why you're winning. You're just going to know that, oh, I've got planes and... No, the tool got- tips, I think the tooltips help. There's a way to have a campaign that is just as compelling and still provides challenge, but also like provides players with the tools they need to continue yeah, and, I, I think, I think, and i don't think that yeah. red dragon really does that it expects you to already have most of them i mean i think fraser's right this is really an expansion that assumes you know airland battle yeah this is for people who've already played it so right. um, and then the, and, and then you run into the problem it's brilliant of, yeah but but then you do run into the problem of well then where the hell's all the stuff i liked in airland battle uh, which is where Tom ended up, and there's yeah. no denying, Airland Battle is a twenty dollar game right now. This is forty. Um, yeah. In like that, the, the value proposition is by no means clear. I like this game. I had a good time with it. I, I like it. A, I like it a lot. I, I really think it's a valuable expansion in addition. Uh, you know, yeah. naval stupidity withstanding. But yeah, I mean, go for Airland Battle. Play that twenty bucks is an amazing deal. Yeah. And Essentially, this will be twenty bucks, def- and you yeah, can buy this. Definitely come, but definitely play Red Dragon. I mean, sure, play Red Dragon now if you want to get the multiplayer scene. Like Four hundred more units. There is so <laughs> many, yes. so and many all cool votes. units. So many cool units. Uh, oh. And have you ever wondered what it would look like if modern naval warfare happened at ranges of like John Paul Jones <laughs> battling on the Bonhomi Richard? Well, <laughs> I got a game for you. Um, but hang on. So before, before we leave it here though, uh, I wanted to ask you guys. So Eugen Systems next game is Active Aggression, I think, which is sort of a successor to Active War. They're going back to a more traditional RTS uh you know, direction right now, which is totally fine. Like I totally get, they've done three of these games in a row. Uh, and I like, I'm totally on board to see what they do with the RTS again. They haven't done one since ruse and really they haven't done a, a traditional RTS since act of war. Um, but, uh, where do you, like if you mentioned earlier, Troy, like this, this, this might be a, a sign of like where the, where, where they go from here. What would you like to see? Like the, the, what would you like, what, what a hypothetical war game would you like to see from you, Jen, uh, in the future? I don't know. I mean, part of me would like them to go like right back to the straight RTS mode. Cause they had some really, really amazing RTSs. I never uh, played a single and- one of them except for Ruse. They're real. I mean, yeah, they're they were they were really really good. Um, uh, you know, control points and buying units and some really fun, neat mechanics uh, that were quite outstanding. Um, and I said, kind of, I'm really looking forward to them revisiting that space. But also, um, I look at their detail and their love of equipment and love of obvious history and alternate history and. I also look at all, I mean, I'm writing an article now on war game editors uh, for a book, and I look at all the scenarios that are out there, and I'm thinking, you know, why don't these guys just make just tons of counterfactual scenarios and an editor, and people just, here's an editor, there are like 20 scenarios with historical units from like 1945 to the present. Here's an editor, make your battles, have at it. Because they've got the tools to do that. And clearly the skill to do that and kind of the love for that. Um, so I part of me would like to see them open things up and see what their fan community could build because there are so many nerds out there like me that just love these alternate histories and there's clearly some nerds in them that love that. And I think they can maybe push the war game into that 
sort of space. I mean, I think one of the lines in my draft right now is I'm thinking about Norm Coger's work and you know, a guy who did, you know, uh, Age of Rifles and yeah. Operation Art of Warfare. And his first game was Universal Military Simulator. And at the time, the line was, this is neither universal nor military nor a simulator. And I think War Games kind of as close as we can get to that in a fun way without going down the uh, Matrix, Harpoon, you know, Balugan yes. Matrix type route. So I'd kind of like to see them push that. You know, make these amazing scenarios, put the tools in the hands of users and see what kind of neat, weird stuff they can come up with and scenario-wise instead of multiplayer-wise, you know, challenges, interesting alternate pasts. And I think now they've expanded to East Asia. They've got, you know, a lot of major theaters covered and the major equipment makers. So, you know, you can have people making India versus Pakistan or South Africa versus Zambia in the 70s. You could do Iran, Iraq. You could do... Egypt, Israel, you can do Chile, Peru, I don't care, whatever, but they have the tools to do this, and the clear the love for this type of weirdness, so I want to see them kind of push things more into the user space, I think, and invite that in. Fraser, do you have any kind of wish list? Um, well, yeah, the, um, the new one they're working on, is it's meant to be like a sort of act of war style, yeah. RTS then, yeah? So I would love that. I absolutely adored Act of War. I thought it was great, um, and so many, a lot of the elements, of course, that's in uh, War Games from that as well. You've got the the kind of this, the different states that units can be in, um, and their requirements. So yeah, I'd really like a detailed uh, RTS uh, like that. I'm very excited. But to be honest, the the editor thing sounds bloody awesome as well. I wish they'd do something like that. Yeah, that sounds pretty great, and I, I am excited to see where they go with this with this RTS. And I, I did ask, um, uh, I, I think it was Alexis uh, Ledresse that was at uh, Alexis Dresse at, at GDC. I, I asked him, "Are you going to go with the the dynamic campaign?" And he was like, "Oh yes, of course." Uh, which, thank God, okay, and art like no no RTS missions, <laughs> a dynamic <laughs> campaign, hell yes, uh, on board. Um, and no indoor missions, please. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Um, I think I think we have some good templates to work from, and, and I think Wargames shown shown the way on some of these points. But you know, something I was thinking about as uh, I watched uh, two uh, a, an, an, a, an American and Chinese cruiser blast away at point blank range uh, <laughs> in, in, inside Natal <laughs> uh, somehow, uh, I was thinking, you know, this would be pretty cool. If it were tall ships, and that got me thinking yes. about that got me thinking about how cool it might be if, like, you took a war game type, like if you took the like the Iris Zoom engine, basically, which is really cool because it can encompass these huge battlefields with like entire separate towns and villages dotted around them, and applied that to like nineteenth century warfare. With you know, from like the age of Napoleon up through uh, like the Franco-Prussian War, where you have you know large mass formations of troops, but this would not be like at the total war scale where you pretend the entire battle is fought by like two thousand guys. This would let you like have it so that like no, you have an entire army corps fighting its own discrete battle here, and then somehow there's another battle happening like three miles away that is connected. 
I think that could be really interesting. It'd be it'd be a total shift, but the engine kind of invites that sort of because it, it allows you to capture certain things that be very tricky for a war yeah. game to capture, and one of them is scale, getting it right, and, and Napoleonics. The entire 19th century has kind of been a disaster for any kind of real-time uh, representation, with the exception of, like, Sid Meier um, and, uh, and the Take Command series. But even they kind of begin to break down as, as they try to represent, like, the, the whole of commanding a full army that, like, Robert E. Lee or Napoleon uh, commanded during, during, the, during the height of their power. I think that could be really cool. I think the tools are there, and then you could then then maybe some of the naval warfare would make would make some sense. Yeah, it would make even less sense. That would it'd make cooler, perfect sense. But it, would make, it would make cooler. No. It would make less sense. <laughs> Shut up, Troy. My show. I don't care. Don't 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 yeah, ruin this for me. Don't ruin this for me. Because because if Victor Trafalgar that drove Napoleon out of Moscow, I tell you what. Well, yeah, if you win at Trafalgar, <laughs> the British ships can provide shoreline support at, the, at Moscow. Just just bombarding is fine. Yeah, it'd be great. They, they they shoot really far. No, I think I think there's I think there's possibilities there. But yeah, I absolutely love the idea of like there is a lot of there is a lot of conflict in the you know sixties seventies. They have a beautiful be engine. They have such a beautiful engine. It would be amazing to see a game from earlier using an engine like that i don't think you really need to use the ships as an excuse to do it they could just ignore ships entirely and just have it land-based but then you but look from at that like, era it's it's tough i mean because at that scale you know what do you do at that scale many of the battles were at smaller than that scale do you you I mean you have shadowing units and other types of units and distractions and deviations and it requires the ai to do nice stuff lots of nice stuff it's a great dream I'd love to see them do it because you're right, Rob. They have an amazing engine that handles scale and distances because they have to because their yeah. their topic demands distances. I still find in a it. way that others don't, but it's it's such a beautiful piece of work. I still find it quite crazy when you're just zooming in on the battlefield and just going right in and being even though it's it's not practical for play. No having that element of that to get right up there when you've been just from in the clouds it's incredible and it keeps that detail it it's mind-blowing uh that's all i really did with the naval battles because there was nothing else going oh, on yeah, so no. i would just zoom in and be like these ships look pretty detailed <laughs> like playing broadside for broadside with gatling guns <laughs> yeah. um yeah no it, it it absolutely does and like zooming in and like watching like a pair of helicopter gunships like shred a tree line with missiles and rockets like it's just huh. unbelievably glorious um yes. it's it's incredible so yeah i think i, I think red dragon see but 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 seeing your forest set on fire by napalm <laughs> when you have units in the middle of it totally not oh cool. no and then yeah. having cluster Quite munitions warrior. drop on an armored formation in the open mm, oh my god like there is not There's... a worse feeling <laughs> That's dumb it. Ways it's beautiful, to die. apart from the fact that it's happening to you. So many dumb ways to die in that game. That is probably at the top. Yeah. So I, I think you know, Red Dragon may get a slightly ambivalent response for for a few reasons, but I think you know, taken as taken as a series, uh, War Game has been just a consistent delight these last couple of years. 
Absolutely. And I'm glad that I'm not working for the PR company anymore. (laughs) So I can say this uh, publicly that I've really enjoyed all the hours I've spent, you know, reading about it and watching it and just seeing it at work. Uh, They've done some amazing, amazing things. Um, And, you know, when we write the history, finally, of uh, strategy games in this decade, I hope this one gets a long, long look because it seems to be kind of off the radar for a lot of people, which makes so little sense to me. Yeah, and yet, it's, there's it's, a lot of people playing it, though. I mean, the multiplayer, I know, Rob, you said there's a lot of empty 10v10 maps. Yeah, but that's that's the, the problem with people trying but, to go big all the time. Yeah, but there's still a lot of people playing, I think, um, which is, and, and it was the same with Airland Battle. There were, I didn't really struggle to find any games, um, and that's nice. So at least it's got a, a community that allows it yeah. to uh, stick around in multiplayer. So we will leave it there, and uh, hopefully we will have cause to revisit the War Game series in the future. Uh, but until then, uh, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Talk to you next week, and good night. Good night, everyone. Night. <laughs>